Hey everyone, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Corbin Gregg. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Jeffrey Ng, Director of Fordham Counseling and Psychological Services, to discuss how the pandemic, the interrupted holiday season, and the transition into winter is taking its toll on students' mental health. Then, we talk about different ways to best cope with the strain we've all been feeling on our emotional and mental states. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. We are now joined by Dr. Jeffrey Ng, Director of Fordham University's Counseling and Psychological Services. Thanks so much for coming on Retrospect today. Oh, thanks for the invitation. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you on. Um, So I think what we want to talk about today is this really difficult meeting of all these different issues that I think are having such a severe toll on so many people's mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, the pandemic has taken a real emotional Um, it's had a real emotional and social effect, I mean, on most people, in addition to the obvious toll that it can take on a person's physical health. Um, And one of the ways that we've been asked as, you know, responsible citizens to help slow the spread is to isolate ourselves, keep to ourselves, you know, be socially distant. And so, so many people's routines and social lives have been disrupted in such major ways. So what kind of toll is this taking on university students in particular? Um, for instance, like, I think I can speak for Corbin and myself Mm -hmm. when we say that it kind of feels like we're losing this essential, unique time that like is specific to the undergrad experience and that we're missing out on so much. And so how is this impacting students in particular? And then of course, people at large. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you captured it really well, Kate. I think you use the word, um, that folks have lost out on a lot of different things and that so many things have been disrupted. Um, and, and I think that's the primary thing that students are struggling with right now. And maybe all folks too, is this idea of, of loss. You know, we've all lost so much, right? You know, we've lost like seemingly small things like going to the movies or like eating in a restaurant with friends to, you know, just sharing a conversation with a friend or a peer in a room. Um, to like significantly larger things like, you know, milestones and celebrations and um, routines and um, like future goals and expectations. Um, And some students have also unfortunately lost people, right? Loved ones and family members to COVID. Um, And and one of the things that I, I think students aren't talking about is like what the sort of natural process is that we go through emotionally when we lose something. Um, And and that process is grief, right? We go through a process of grieving and mourning. And I think a lot of our students are still in the process of of grieving and mourning all of the losses that they've experienced. There are some expectable and sort of predictable sort of dimensions and stages of grief that we all go through when we've lost something. And maybe it's also important for me to mention here that most college age students, um, fortunately because of their their youth, um, have not had to experience too many significant losses, right? Um, unlike maybe we, we older folks like myself, right? Like we've had to contend with, um, you know, death and impermanence in ways that hopefully most students have not had to um, encounter in their lives. And so all that is to say that I think the process of loss and grief may be even more challenging and students may have been less emotionally prepared for that than, you know, folks who have encountered it in the past. I think most students are right now in the sort of depressive or sort of sadness stage of grief. Um, you know, there's 
a period of usually, usually like what we call denial or shock, right, or disbelief when it first happens. This thought that like this is not really happening right now, um, and, and then that usually progresses to like some anger um, about what happened. You know, sometimes uh, there's like a bargaining, right, or an attempt to sort of negotiate the the realities of the situation, and then most folks will shift into this sort of sadness or sort of depression stage of grief. That's where most folks spend the most time in their grieving process. Um, and I think that's where a lot of students are at right now. Um, they're just sort of saddened by and still trying to reconcile all the losses that they've experienced. Um, you know, eventually most folks, when they're grieving, they go um, and shift into a phase of acceptance or reconciliation, right? They come to terms with the loss. There's usually growth and you know, existential kind of meaning making that happens in that stage. But I think the fact that the pandemic is so uncertain and we don't really know yet when it's going to end, there's no finality to it right now, that it makes shifting to that stage a little bit harder, right? And it leads to what we refer to as anticipatory grief, right? This like idea of sort of planning ahead for potential losses that haven't even happened yet and understandably leads to like this sense of like sort of impending doom, right? Or dread or foreboding um, that I think we're seeing a lot of our students experiencing and reporting right now. Um, and not just students, but perhaps a lot of us as well, right? So that's a really long answer, Kate, to your your curiosity about what students might be experiencing right now. I think the other significant loss that um, our students are still trying to navigate is, you know, what you referenced earlier, right, about um, these sort of connections with each other. Um, and, and I want to clarify that I don't think students or, you know, really any of us have lost the opportunity to connect. Like, we know how to connect. Right, and then our, our Gen Z adults know how to connect. They're very fluent in technology. They're doing a lot of what we're doing right now, and there's other modalities they're using to stay connected. Um, but I, I don't think those connections are, for lack of a better word, like as nutritious as the other kinds of connections that we're used to having pre-pandemic. Right? Um, there's a lot lost, right, through screen-to-screen -screen interactions. Um, and, and I think what what a lot of us have lost, students included, is a sense of like emotional maybe physical, maybe also like sexual intimacy and um, resonance and, and attunement that is really hard to replicate um, through through Zoom or through Skype or through some other virtual format. Students are also feeling that loss, the loss of like emotional and physical and sexual intimacy. When you were going through kind of the stages of grief there, I think one of the things that for me personally, I felt what kind of near the start of the pandemic when everything was happening was definitely like, I was, I went home and it all happened right before spring break. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, spring break will be a week longer. Right. Um, and it was kind of just like, this isn't going to be that big of a thing. Two weeks. Okay. We'll slow the spread and then we'll mm -hmm. all come back and things will be okay. Yeah. Um, and then after that, like I had gotten on the plane and then when we had touched down and I was able to turn my phone back on, mm -hmm. I got like the messages that I was like, okay, we're out for the semester. Yeah. I was like, okay. And at that point it was kind of, I felt mad. It's like I had left everything. I had left right. like those social connections that I had known. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we're talking about this kind of loss and then this, it felt like sudden isolation. And maybe mm -hmm. not isolation fully socially, just like being so physically distant from mm -hmm. everybody. And, and the, the experience of losing something and grieving is compounded by the increased sort of disconnectedness that we feel with each other right now. You know, we, we usually lean on our loved ones when we're grieving, right? And that's so much harder to do right now. So to me, it's just not a great sort of recipe. I think um, the fact that there's less access to the folks that we love and care about and that we tend to lean on for support just makes it so much harder to cope with the grief. Yeah. So if we were to expand on this kind of idea of like 
physical distance and those kinds of things more and talk about different maybe strategies for coping with maybe despite not being like fully socially isolated, you can still see like your friends, Instagram mm-hmm. feeds, you can still see your friends over Zoom. It's kind of different. So can we talk kind of about how to deal with that, like how students can cope with the fact that things are different now and moving forward and working through that. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we're all uh, in a situation now where we have to think a little bit more out of the box and be a little bit more creative with figuring out how to stay connected with each other in, in ways that are really restorative. And even though the recommendation, right, is that we try to do as much as possible virtually, there are still opportunities perhaps to see each other in person, right? You know, with all the restrictions and, you know, recommendations in place, right? You know, distancing and mask wearing, et cetera. I know it's a little harder now with, with the weather being um, cooler, um, but, you know, some of these things can be done outdoors. And so I think all that is to say that if, if it feels easier sometimes to just turn on the computer to connect with someone when it's possible to maybe see someone live and in person, right, in a safe way, right, to maybe think about leaning into the, into the latter, right, rather than just... Um, like defaulting into the more convenient way of connecting right now. Yeah. And I mean, speaking to that point personally, I also think that it just is harder emotional work to connect virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think like intimacy for a lot of people is just spending time together, being in one another's presence. Mm -hmm. Um, Like last year I lived with five other girls and we were all pretty close and a large part of our closeness was just coexisting together. And so it's so much more difficult to maintain those relationships in these very focused, dedicated time slots where all your attention is on one another. And I just don't mm-hmm. think that's as sustainable. Right, um, so that's, I agree. Yeah, that's something that I definitely struggled with. I yeah. think it just, I think for as helpful and important and useful as technology is to help us connect now when we're all apart, especially um, back when pretty much everyone was in different states scattered all across the mm-hmm. country or the world before anyone returned to campus. Um, I think that was really difficult and kind of making the time was harder than it would be and just kind of a natural way to go grab lunch with someone or hang out right. in, the, in the res halls or anything like that. So that too is yeah. an issue. No, it definitely requires more um, planning and mental and emotional energy now than in the past. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I would also suggest is um, to take advantage of the folks that are already in your, in your bubble, right? Whatever that bubble is and whoever's in it um, and, and assuming that there are folks that you know are supportive and that you feel connected to and safe with right to try to to leverage those opportunities with the folks that are in your familial or social bubble yeah absolutely yeah another point that we kind of wanted to touch on was i think a big issue for a lot of people as well as isolation and all of that is kind of the lack of control that we feel that we have we can mm-hmm. there are certain things that we can do to help alleviate the pandemic as much as we can but mm-hmm. it's I think there's been a lot of loss of trust in institutions um, in the people that are meant to make decisions for us and look after us, mm-hmm. you know, on a political level and a governmental level. Um, and there's this feeling as you kind of open and reclose and rules change and everything. Um, and there's just no clear answers as to when things are kind of returned to normal or even mm-hmm. what normal will ever be again. Um, right. and there's just a loss of sense of any control. Right. I think that's really difficult for people. So, what are some ways that we can kind of try and take more control over our lives or at least cope better with the lack of control that we have mm-hmm. and sort of deal with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you kind of like hit the head, nail on the head there, Kate. I mean, there, there are some things that we realistically can't control, 
right? And including, you know, what the, what the global course of the virus is, right? Right. And, you know, how some institutions and leaders and health agencies may, may respond or not respond to what's going on. You know, that, that being said, I would really try to think in um, like your own sort of concentric circles, like what you can have some influence over and what kind of agency you might have over the, the things that are immediately concentric to your life. So while we don't know, for example, what the, the course of the virus may be nationally or globally, right, like we know what we can do individually, right, to mitigate the spread of the virus. Like we have enough science now, right, to know, you know, we should wash our hands, we should um, wear a mask, et cetera, so that we can at least protect, you know, those within our circles, right, including ourselves. Um, you know, I also think it's important to identify, you know, some active things that you all can do, right, to care for yourself in the midst of all this. Um, and, and I'll just like throw out some some suggestions, right? And I recognize that each person has to figure out like the best combination that works for them. But there are some things that we know like fosters, you know, well-being and a sense of agency. One is like physical activity and exercise, right? Um, like, like we know that that is a real anecdote for both anxiety and depression. We know that people feel more empowered when they work out, when they exercise or go to the gym. That's one thing. We also know that folks feel um, more a sense of equanimity when they engage in a gratitude practice, um, you know, formally or informally, ideally formally. Um, cause sometimes when things are informal, folks get a little lax with it. You know, it's important, I think, to engage in some sort of practice where we intentionally remind ourselves of some of the positive things that occur in our lives and that we have in our lives, especially, you know, offset and counterbalance, like all of the negative things that are going on right now. The mind already tends to gravitate towards negative events and experiences. And so we actually have to do work, right, to, to counterbalance that. Um, and, and if we don't, then we are, you know, more prone to, um, you know, being down and being sad and being anxious. Um, so gratitude practice can be a real positive, you know, buffer for, you know, worsening mental health and well-being. Um, and it can be done, you know, through writing. It can be done through like self-talk. It can be done in conversation with, with another person. Um, again, just carving out some time to remind ourselves um, of what there is out there that we can be appreciative of. I also think the other thing that we can control, which contributes significantly to improve mental health and well-being, um, which I know is incredibly hard to do from what we hear from our students and also for ourselves, is to be a bit more discerning and limiting with our social media. Like we, of course, want to stay informed about what's going on in the world, but we also want to make sure that we don't feel like flooded, right, and overwhelmed by all the information that's out there. There's a lot of negative information out there right now and we can access it 24 7 right so essentially we can decide or choose to be like vicariously traumatized 24 hours a day um and so, but we can also choose to not be that way right we can choose to maybe be more like intentional and limiting of the news that we're exposing ourselves to and similarly for social media you know there's many perks of social media but there's also some downsides right that I, i'm sure you all are aware of and so just being a little bit more deliberate and intentional with our social media use, with our news consumption, I think can also provide us with a sense of sort of control about our internal state and our internal temperature. I also think it would be interesting to kind of go into the specific time of year that we're kind of entering. So it's the holiday season. Mm -hmm. um, it's winter. It's getting dark outside very fast. Yeah. Um, it gets dark at like 4.30 now. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like everything is kind of slower and le less is happening outside, obviously, because it's getting mm -hmm. cold. 
And then I think also for like, this is probably a very hard time for first year students in particular. It's the holiday season. They've come to school. For some of them, it's the first time they've been away from family for so long. Mm -hmm. For even beyond just those first year students, it might be the first time students aren't going home to see a family because their situation permits that either they can't deal with the quarantine restrictions Mm -hmm. and trying to go back and forth, or they're worried that they're going to put somebody that they love in harm's way by going to see them, going Mm -hmm. through travel. If we were to just kind of evaluate this time of year, and I know that it's already difficult sometimes in terms of mental health, dealing with the holidays and dealing with those types of things. Right. Yeah, those are all realities, right? And, you know, real things things that we, we should be considering, you know, including the fact that there are some student populations that might be more vulnerable right now, right? You mentioned, um, you know, first year students, um, you know, whether they be freshmen, transfers, or like new graduate students or professional students, they, they may be more vulnerable right now because, you know, they, they perhaps didn't get the opportunity to develop the connections that other folks, you know, who have um, been here beyond their first year may have developed. You know, we, we know, again, that you know, relationships and social connections are a protective factor for forcing mental health problems. And so um, not having had as many opportunities to cultivate those relationships could make them more vulnerable. You know, students who, for different reasons, may not be able to reconnect with families, um, that, that might be especially hard for them. You know, I'm thinking about international students specifically, right, you know, because of some of the travel restrictions and the extended separations from from families and loved ones and their culture and their language of origin, like that might be especially hard. And these might be folks that need to take special like steps, right? Or additional steps to preserve their mental health and well-being. You know, so so some of the suggestions that I mentioned earlier, like it might be especially important for them to to take off or to like double down on some sort of practices, right? That bolster their mental health and well-being. Um, and I think for folks who um, are not in some of these you know, student populations, and I can name a lot more that might be especially vulnerable too. But for folks who are not in those situations, like we might want to be, um, you know, more vigilant with keeping an eye on our peers and you know, our, our roommates and our friends who may be in these situations, right? So that we can um, be more attentive and compassionate and lend a listening ear, right? And to maybe even offer some concrete suggestions for how they could um, care for themselves while they're going through this vulnerable period um, in particular with, with the upcoming break. Absolutely. And yeah. so I think just to kind of transition into our final point, I would love for you to explain a little bit about what CPS resources are available for students, um, maybe what the process looks like for setting up an appointment with a counselor, um, yeah. if that's different for in-person students and virtual students, and kind of how students can reach out to CPS. Sure. Um, well, right now they can reach out in, in three ways. Um, they can email us, although we don't actually publicize a like a general CPS email. Most folks will email either myself or one of our associate directors on one of our campuses. Um, but most students reach out either by calling our office um, or by just walking in. Like we're, we're physically still open um, and we have been all semester. And so when students reach out to us, um, if they're interested in beginning counseling um, or receiving you know, some other mental health service through our office, um, we usually schedule them for an initial um, screening appointment that takes about 30 minutes. We have always done those over the phone, um, even pre-pandemic. Just trying to get a better sense of what our students are going through at that moment and figuring out over the phone with them um, how we can be most helpful and what the best next steps are. Um, and, and then following that initial screening appointment, a clinical decision will be made and communicated in collaboration with that student about what the best next steps are. And 
Usually that involves receiving some sort of service in our office. Sometimes it involves something else, um, including possibly a, a referral right to a community provider if we deem the student to require more specialized or more intensive care. And so that, that's how they connect with our office initially. The other way that they, they can reach out to us is by um, just calling and saying that they need to see somebody immediately for a more urgent situation and they'll be scheduled for either an in-person or virtual crisis intervention walk-in appointment. I know that there's so, so much more to be said that this has been one of the kind of undercurrents of the entire pandemic in this entire year is just the huge impact on mental health that everything has. So if you have any just final thoughts or final things that you want to say. I think we need to remember that as, as disconcerting and as stressful as the pandemic is, that there are other like systemic and ecological things going on um, nationally and globally, right? That are just as or differently stressful um, and impactful on our students, right? Um, you know, one of those very recently, maybe not very recently, but it was captured in the most recent sort of election um, is just our political environment. Our social political environment has been um, challenging for a good number of our students, um, like our longstanding and sort of more entrenched you know, struggle and reconciliation with, you know, racism and other forms of systemic oppression has also been troubling um, and challenging for a lot of our students. Um, and, and, you know, these are not like dichotomized um, or not intertwined issues, right? Like they're all intertwined like the pandemic, right? Systemic injustice, um, the political climate, they're all interconnected. And so I just think we need to remember that, right? That there are um, multiple things going on right now um, that are impacting our students and their well-being, even though I know we mostly talked about the, the health pandemic. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. Um, I think it's just been such a traumatizing year for yeah. so many people. You know, widespread, everyone has obviously been affected by the pandemic, but I certainly think about our Black students mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe our LGBTQ students who are at home with their families. Maybe right. it's not safe for them to be out. Um, yeah. Yeah, certainly thinking about those communities. Yeah, yeah. All around difficult year it has been, you know. Yes, it's been challenging year on, on many fronts. Yeah. This was a really excellent and valuable conversation. We really appreciate you coming on. Oh, no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, maybe another time we'll unpack some of these other pandemics that have been with us for so much longer than yeah. COVID-19 because, uh, you know, our students on many levels have been struggling with those long before long before like the racial trauma that unfolded this summer and long before BLM, I think uh, fortunate and positive that there's increasing attention to these dynamics now. This has been Retrospect. Thanks once again to Dr. Ng for taking the time to come on the podcast to talk about student mental health and the many resources offered by CPS. We hope that this episode will serve as a valuable resource to all of our listeners who might be understandably finding themselves struggling during this incredibly difficult time. We are off next week for Thanksgiving. So until next time, I'm Corbin Gregg. And I'm Kate Galliford. Please take care, be well, and we'll see you again after the Thanksgiving break.